The scripture for this morning's message is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 14. The title of the message this morning is Pursuing What is Most Valuable. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, who is the young pastor of the church at Ephesus. In 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul tells us his purpose for writing to Timothy. I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Well, when Paul comes to chapter 6, he's telling Timothy to beware of certain false teachers who would use religion as a way to get rich. He then goes on to warn Timothy of the dangers of loving money. Now the verses we're going to look at follow immediately after Paul's warnings about the love of money. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 14. But you, O man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our blessed God and Father, when you gave us your Son, you gave us boundless riches. Yet in our fallenness, we sometimes crave the treasures of earth. Forgive us for neglecting what is most valuable in order to pursue money and the things it can buy. Please, O oh God, open our eyes this day to what is most valuable and make us willing and able to pursue it with all our heart. Do it for Christ's glory and our good. Amen. You can be seated. David Lee Edwards won $27 million. Jackpot lottery. Five years later, he was penniless and living with his wife in a storage shed. He died alone and broke in hospice care at the age of 58. Callie Rogers won $2.3 million when she was only 16 years old. A decade later, she had only $2,500. By the time she was 33, she was penniless and living on government benefits. Gerald Muskegon won $10 million and blew through it in just a few short years. By the end, he was doing manual labor on a farm to support his girlfriend and six children. Only seven years after his big win, 
he hung himself in his parents' garage. We could go on and on and on. Stories like this are very common. People dream about being rich, but when it happens, the dream often turns into a nightmare. As Christians, we should know that money is not what is most valuable. We should know that Christ is the solution to our problems. We should know that Christ is the source of our provision. We should know that Christ is the secret to our pleasure. Yet, even as Christians, we can be guilty of thinking that money is what will solve our problems and make us happy. But the love of money will actually cause us problems and make us miserable. Because of the dangers associated with the love of money, Paul commanded Timothy to flee from it and devote himself to the faith. What Paul is saying to Timothy in these verses is you need to pursue what is most valuable and it isn't money. What's most valuable for Christians is the faith. When I talk about the faith, I need to be clear what I mean. I don't mean your personal faith in Jesus. In Scripture, the Christian religion as a whole is sometimes referred to simply as the faith. It's all the beliefs and practices associated with Christianity. It encompasses our faith in Jesus as Lord, our pursuit of Christ-like character, our obedience to Christ's commands, our study of the teachings of Scripture, our worship, our witness, all of that. All that is associated with Christianity we, is sometimes referred to simply as the faith. And what Paul is saying to Timothy is that's what's most valuable. Christ and faith in Christ. That's what we need to pursue. God's word for us today is this. Because of the dangers associated with the love of money, flee from it and devote yourself to the faith. In these verses that we just read, there are five commands. But we can summarize these five commands under two commands, two headings. Here's the first. Flee the love of money. Flee the love of money. The verse just before our text, verse 10. In that verse, Paul is warning Timothy about the love of money and the grief that it has caused some Christians who have fallen victim to it. And when he comes to verse 11, Paul says, But you, O man of God. In other words, you, Timothy, as a man of God, don't need to let happen to you what happened to these others. And that's why he gives this command, Flee from these things. What are these things? Well, it's what he was referring to in verse 10. The love of money and all the dangers associated with it. I want to briefly look at verse 10, and I want us to notice the dangers he points out here 
associated with the love of money. He says the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. In other words, the love of money leads to sin. Love of money is like a root of a tree. When it grows, the fruit it produces is sin. Just ask yourself, how many people have been killed over money? How many marriages have ended because of money? People will lie and cheat and steal for money. Women will sell their purity for money. Men will sell their integrity for money. The love of money leads to sin. Verse 10 also says, Some, by aspiring to it, seeking to have money, have wandered away from the faith. There's that idea of the faith, the Christian religion as a, as a whole. Some have wandered away from the faith because they were chasing money. There have been those who fell in love with money and their pursuit of money led them away from Christ. They began to neglect the pursuit of Christ in order to pursue money. So their spiritual disciplines fell by the way. Sunday becomes another chance to make a dollar rather than worship, so their public worship falls by the way. They dream of earthly possessions and all the, the things that money can buy and all the pleasures that money can afford them, and so they lose sight of where their real treasure lies. And since they can't serve God and money in time, money not Christ, becomes their master. So he says the dangers associated with money are it leads to sin, it leads you away from the faith, and notice what else it says, having wandered from the faith, they pierce themselves with many griefs. In other words, the love of money becomes a self-inflicted wound. It causes grief, and pain. Can I tell you today, if you turn your back on God to chase money, it will only lead you to sorrow and pain. As the love of money produces sin in your life, the consequences of that sin will eventually catch up to you and you will suffer. You will either suffer the pain of discipline and regret or the pain of of hell but the love of money will only lead you to heartache those are the dangers associated with the love of money so what do we do well that's the reason paul's given this command flee from these things from the love of money and all these dangers this is a present tense command and what that means is we're to Run from the love of money and never stop running from it. Constantly, continually, always be fleeing from the love of money. Now, that's not a command to avoid money. We know that money is necessary in this life to some extent. He's not saying flee money. He's saying flee from the love of money. Whatever you do, don't let yourself fall in love with money. Don't let money become your priority. This is not a vow of poverty. What it is, in simplest terms, is a call for contentment. 
Back up to verses 7 and 8 in this same chapter. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. And if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. Fleeing the love of money is a call for contentment. What is contentment? In its simplest terms, contentment is the ability to say, I have enough. No more is needed. Can you say that today? If I never get anything else, I have enough. No more is needed. And what's the secret to being content? Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4. The verse that's quoted so many times out of context. Here we have a chance to quote it in context. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the very thing Paul was talking about is being content. Whether he had a lot or a little. Christ gives the strength to be content if we're living in a palace or a prison. Christ gives the strength to be content whether we're feasting or fasting. Flee the love of money. Be content. Oh, man of God, he says, flee the love of money. Here's the thing I want you to hear me say. Men of God are not in love with money. Women of God are not in love with money. The love of money will only lead to grief, so we must flee from it. Instead, we pursue what is truly valuable. Devote yourself to the flame. Flee the love of money and devote yourself to the faith. From the second half of verse 11 all the way through verse 14, there are four more commands given to us. Rather than loving money, rather than pursuing earthly riches, Christians are commanded to devote themselves to the faith. That's how I've summed up all four of these commands. If you take them together, they show us what it looks like to devote ourselves to the faith. Look, and they don't just show us what it looks like. This is a command from God to actually do it. This is a command from God to do these four things as a way of devoting ourselves to the faith. So what are these four commands? Here's the first one. Pursue Christian character. Pursue Christian character. You see the end of verse 11, flee from these things, the love of money and the dangers associated with it, and pursue, and he gives us some things to pursue. The first is righteousness. Righteousness is moral, practical behavior that pleases God. The next is godliness. Godliness is Belief and behavior that reflects devotion to God. The next thing he mentions is faith. Now faith here is not um, just the intellectual belief in something. This faith is the actual practical trusting of God in all the daily matters of life. Love is the next thing mentioned. Love is the self-sacrificial love for God and others. It's a willingness to sacrifice for the good of others, for the glory and praise 
of God. The final thing he mentions is perseverance. Perseverance is remaining faithful to Christ, even in the face of hardship, even in the face of stress or difficulty. And then there is gentleness. Gentleness is simply treating others in a kind and considerate way. So these are the kind of things we are to pursue. If you take them together, it's just a picture of Christian character. You may notice several of those are part of another list found in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. What that means is these are not character qualities we achieve by our own effort. No, 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 no. They are produced by the Spirit of God living within us. Do you know you can never attain righteousness or godliness in your own strength? You can never be godly or live by faith simply by trying hard. Love and perseverance are not products of human achievement. Gentleness is not something natural to fallen human beings. Listen, these things are produced in us by the grace of God through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Yet, think about this, at the same time, Paul commands us to pursue these things. Now, it seems like a contradiction. We know that we can't produce these things in ourselves, but yet Paul's telling us to pursue them. If we can't produce them, what does it mean to pursue them? Well, the word pursue is also a present tense command. It also means to always be pursuing Christian character. Here's how we pursue Christian character. We cooperate with the Holy Spirit of God as He works to transform us. Let me give you a very important verse, two verses. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who has at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He says, not work for your salvation, work out your salvation. That's a picture of sanctification. That's a picture of becoming more like Jesus. That's the picture of attaining these things Paul's talking about. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. What he's saying here is you work toward achieving these things. Why? Because God is at work in you by his power to do that very thing. What he's saying is by your effort, the spirit of God in you uses your effort and he makes it effective. On your own, your efforts would never attain Christ-like character. But because you have the Spirit of God in you, your efforts are empowered by the Spirit of God. You with me? And He empowers your efforts and enables you to grow. It's not your effort that achieves Christ-likeness. It's your effort empowered by the Spirit of God in you that does. All the effort in the world won't make us like Jesus apart from the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. But as we practice the spiritual disciplines in the power of the Spirit, then we become increasingly more like Jesus. As we read and meditate, memorize, study the Bible, sitting on the preaching of the Word, gathering small groups for Bible study, as we pray and do all the spiritual disciplines, use the means of grace God has given us. As we engage in these things, the Spirit of God uses that to make us more like Christ. 
Don't spend all of your time and energy pursuing money. Pursue Christian character. That's one way we devote ourselves to the faith. Something else we do as a way of devoting ourselves to the faith is seen in verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. The word fight means to engage in an intense struggle against some opposition. We have to face the reality that we're just absolutely going to face opposition as we seek to follow Christ faithfully in this world. The scripture tells us we have enemies. Christians in this world have enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. They are all working against us to lead us away from Christ and into sin. So we have to fight. What is the fight of faith? Well, it includes all the struggles that we have as we try to live out our faith and remain faithful to Jesus. You might say it like this, to fight the good fight of faith is the fight to remain faithful in belief and in practice. Let's, let's mention just a few of the struggles we have. One is the struggle against sin. Yes, you and I have been forgiven. We've been cleansed of sin. We, we have been given the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. But we know the Bible teaches we're not yet without sin. The power of sin in your life has been broken, but the presence of sin has not yet been banished. 1 John 1, 8 if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we're not sinless, but we don't just accept the fact that we're still going to sin sometimes. It's a reality we can do nothing about. We don't just accept that and go on and sin and don't worry about it. No, 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 no. By the power of God, we wage war against sin. We do what Romans 8 13 calls putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Christians of centuries past called it mortifying the flesh. Mortify means to put to death. We seek to kill the sin that remains in our life. We don't just make peace with the fact that we are still sinners. No, 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 no. We... we dress up in the armor of God in the power of the Spirit of God and we go to war against it. We seek to squash every remaining bit of sin in our life. Another struggle we have is the flip side of the struggle against sin. It's the fight for obedience. Fighting the good fight of faith is not just about saying no to sin. It's about saying yes to obedience. When a person comes to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in them. That makes obedience possible. But it doesn't make it automatic. Before you have the Spirit of God, obedience is not even possible. 
You don't have the capacity to do anything to the glory of God when you're in the flesh, when you're in your lost condition. The Spirit of God in you makes it possible to obey God, but it doesn't make it automatic. And it doesn't even make it easy. The world, the flesh, and the devil are all going to try to keep you from obeying God. So we not only have to struggle against sin, we struggle in the power of the Spirit to obey God. Just like our fight against sin is empowered by the Spirit of God in us, our struggle to walk in obedience is also not done in our own strength, but in the Spirit of God, in His strength, we strive to obey God. Fighting the good fight of faith also includes another struggle. It includes a struggle against false doctrine. From the very beginning of the church, there were false teachers who sought to lead God's people astray by corrupting the purity of doctrine in the church. Here's the thing. If you can get people to believe wrong, you can get them to behave wrong. That's exactly why in Romans 12, 2, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The key to transformation is renewal of the mind. Well, in the same way, the key to perversion is the corruption of the mind. How do you get somebody to adopt a perverted lifestyle you corrupt their way of thinking. You, you teach them lies and falsehood. Corrupted doctrine leads to corrupted living. That's why false teaching is so dangerous. So the church has to wage war against it. 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Paul describes one aspect of, fear, of spiritual warfare as tearing down speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You see, part of our fight, fighting the good fight of faith, is dismantling every idea, every teaching that is contrary to correct belief and contrary to correct behavior. You know what Jude calls it in his letter, Jude verse 3? He calls it contending for the faith. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt it necessary to write to you exhorting you that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. We have to fight to, to keep doctrine pure so that our devotion will be pure. And again, I need to tell you, this is not a battle we fight in our own strength. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the might of His strength. Put on the whole armor of God. We don't go to war against sin or false doctrine in our strength. We go to war in the power of God's Spirit. Listen, don't, don't spend your life fighting for another dollar. That's a losing battle. Devote yourself to the faith by fighting the good fight of faith. And here's another way we devote ourselves to the faith. Take hold of eternal life. This is the latter part of verse 12. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were 
called him. Now I need to say right up front, Paul is not implying that Timothy can gain eternal life by his actions. That is not what take hold of eternal life means. Eternal life cannot be earned or deserved. It is a gift of grace God gives to those who are in Christ. Romans 3.23, we quote the first half of that verse a lot, but we usually leave off the second half. The first half says, for the wages of sin is death. The second part's actually the best part. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Eternal life is a gift. So, Notice what Paul says here. He tells Timothy, eternal life is something to which you were called. The call refers to the saving, regenerating act of God in Timothy's life. It's the internal call to salvation. When you talk about your calling, God calling someone to salvation. That's not referring to God inviting someone to salvation. That's the actual act of God bringing them into union with Himself through Christ. It's His regenerating work. Notice how verse 12 ends. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul is reminding Timothy of his conversion when he first came to faith. He reminds him of the confession he made in the presence of witnesses. The early Christian confession was simply this, Jesus is Lord. To be a part of the church, you had to publicly confess Jesus of Lord. Jesus is Lord at your baptism usually is how that worked. Now the significance of that was not lost on them like it is largely to us today. But he's reminding Timothy of the time when God saved you. And what he's telling Timothy is, remember when God saved you, he saved you so you could experience eternal life. The point is this. We have eternal life as a result of something God does, not as a result of something we do. Now, let's talk about what eternal life is. We have a tendency to think of eternal life as something we will enjoy in heaven. That's not incorrect, but it is incomplete. The primary characteristic of eternal life is not the duration of life, but the quality of life. You see, eternal life is the life of the age to come. The kingdom kingdom living. But we have to remember that Jesus has already inaugurated the kingdom when he came the first time. In other words, we're already part of the kingdom. See, for believers, eternal life is not only a future hope, it's a present reality. That's why Scripture describes eternal life as something you already possess. 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Now listen to what it said. 
that you may know that you have present tense eternal life. Not that you will have, but you already have. What does John 5, 24 say? Those who have believed in Christ have passed from death to life. Past tense. It's already happened. Now, what is eternal life? It, it describes life in a relationship with God. John 17, 3. This is eternal life that they may know you. This is Jesus praying. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Now, that doesn't mean just knowing informationally. It means knowing experientially. It means knowing God by experience. Eternal life, listen, eternal life is a life of close communion with God. It goes beyond knowing about God to knowing God in relationship, knowing God by experience. And yes, this life will be experienced in its fullest measure in the age to come. But it begins at salvation. We already have a life of fellowship and communion with God through Jesus. In other words, eternal life is not something we only experience one day in the sweet by and by. It's something we can and should experience today. Maybe now you can understand why Paul tells Timothy, take hold of eternal life. The word means to seize or grasp. You remember when Peter walked on the water to Jesus? And he got to looking at the storm and he began to sink and Jesus reached down and grabbed Peter. That's this same word, seize, has the idea, take hold of. It almost has a violent picture. I mean, you grab hold of it for all your worth. How many of you are familiar with the Latin carpe diem? It became popular in the movie Patch Adams. Excuse me, Dead Poet Society. Same, same actor, different movie. Dead Poet Society with Robin Williams seize the day. It, it's kind of a similar idea. Seize the day. Don't let opportunity pass you by. Make the most of every chance you get. Make the most of the moment. Here's what Paul is saying when he says take hold of eternal life. Aggressively, tenaciously, seek to experience all the blessings and benefits of life and relationship with God. Not just in the age to come. You take hold of those things now in this life. Make it your aim to experience the abundant life that Jesus died to give you as much as is possible in this day. Enjoy all the blessings and benefits of being reconciled to God. Live in the peace of God. Enjoy the pleasures of God. Receive the provision of God. Live out the purpose of God. Listen, don't just wait for heaven to experience a life of close communion with God. It is already yours. It has been given you by the grace of God. Reach out and take hold of it. Devote yourself 
to the faith. Listen, don't spend your life trying to get your hands on every dollar you can. Take hold of eternal life. There's a fourth way I want to show you that we should devote ourselves to the faith. We see it in verses 13 and 14. Here it is. Persevere in faithfulness. Verse 13, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate. I charge you. Charge is used of a duty given to a soldier by his superior officer. And Timothy wants to, in other words, he's giving him orders. And Timothy wants to know, wants, well, Paul wants Timothy to know how serious this charge is, how serious his duty is. So he's calling two witnesses. Timothy, I'm giving you these orders and I'm calling two witnesses to witness that I've given you these orders. One witness is God the Father, who he describes here as the one who gives life to all things. The second witness is God the Son, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate. What's that about? John 18, 37. This is when Jesus acknowledges before Pilate that he is indeed king. Here's the bottom line. Paul saying, Timothy, I call God to witness that I'm giving you this command today, which means this is a very serious command. Well, what is the command? Verse 14. That you keep the commandment. What is Timothy's duty? Keep the commandment. Which commandment? It, it's singular. Keep the commandment. He doesn't say keep the commandments, plural. It sounds like he's only talking about one commandment. Well, which one is it? There's an important thing for us to notice. The commandment here for Paul encompasses all the instructions he's given Timothy. It's a way of summarizing all the duties and responsibilities that we have as Christians. He's picturing the Christian life as a rule, excuse me, he's picturing the Christian faith as a rule of life. What is the rule that we live our life according to? It's the Christian faith. Similar to saying that the faith is a way of summarizing the Christian faith as a whole. The commandment is a way of summarizing all of our responsibilities as believers. Keep the commandment. It's another way of saying obey or be faithful to Jesus in all things. This is another present tense command, which means this is something we're to do continually, always keep on doing it. Always continue being faithful to Jesus. Now, I need you to notice he modifies this command in two ways. First, he says, keep the commandment without stain or reproach. Blamelessly is the idea. Obey Christ blamelessly. Now, does Paul expect Timothy to keep the commandments perfectly? No, certainly not. Notice the second way he modifies his command. Until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the idea. Make it your goal to be above reproach on the day when Jesus returns. 
Seek to live your life in such a way that you will have no need to be ashamed when Jesus comes back. Does that make sense? In other words, persevere in faithfulness. Be faithful until Jesus comes back. Make it your aim to live your life in such a way that when Jesus comes back, you won't have to be ashamed. Live faithfully until the end. Now, we need to be clear about something. We cannot persevere in faithfulness in our own strength. I've said this several times today, and it's because it's important as we talk about devoting ourselves to the faith, we need to understand that we're talking about doing something in the power and strength of God's Spirit, not trying to do something in the strength of our own flesh. Perseverance is the work of Christ in us. The only reason we remain faithful is because the Spirit of God in us keeps us faithful. If you could lose your salvation, you would in 10 minutes. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 and 13. May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may strengthen your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Listen to what he said. Who is it that's going to strengthen our hearts blameless in holiness? The Lord. But he does that again by empowering our effort, not apart from our effort. We give ourselves to remaining faithful. And by his strength and his power, he keeps us. That's why the word of God commands you and I to be faithful to Christ, obedient to Christ in all things until he returns. Because as we strive to do that, the spirit of God will keep us. So make it your aim to stand before Jesus blamelessly on that day. Listen, you want a goal for 2024? Or for that matter, you want a goal for your life? Don't, don't make it your goal to be rich. Make it your goal to be found faithful when your Lord comes. Even Christians can be guilty of thinking that money is going to solve all our problems. If we just had more money, money would make us happy if we just had more money. Listen, I hope you can see the love of money will actually cause the believer problems and lead you into misery. Why? Because it leads you away from what is truly valuable, the faith. Because of the dangers associated with the love of money, flee from it and devote yourself to the faith. Listen, isn't that exactly what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount? Twice? Matthew 6, 19 and 20, don't store up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. Isn't that exactly what he's saying? Flee the love of money. Pursue the faith. Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Isn't that exactly what he's saying? Flee the love of money and pursue Christ. Oh, I, I wish you could understand. 
What you have in Christ is worth more than all the treasures this world can hold. Christ is the source of your provision. Christ is the solution to your problems. Christ is the secret to your pleasure. Listen, it's that very reality that led Ray Miller to pen these words in 1922. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Listen, I understand. We need money for certain things. Oh, but I beg of you, friend, please don't spend 2024 chasing money. Spend 2024 chasing Jesus because all that is most valuable is found in Him. Let's pray.